just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Where do you think you're going? Nobody's leaving. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. No, no, we're all in this together. This is a full-blown, four-alarm holiday emergency here. We're going to press on, and we're going to have the hap-hap-happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap danced with Danny fucking K. And when Santa squeezes his fat white ass down that chimney night, he's going to find the jolliest bunch of assholes this side of the nuthouse. You're goofy. Don't piss me off, Art. Clark? It's over. Not according to Santa's watch, it isn't. Now, come on, son. Stay out of this, Dad. Clark, I think it's best if everyone just goes home before things get worse. Worse? How could they get any worse? Take a look around you, Ellen. We're at the threshold of hell. Greetings and salutations, listening friends, is our frequently referenced friend, Clark Riswold, that just mentioned, you better stick around. Nobody's going anywhere. We're here to save the world. It doesn't matter that it's the holiday season. We're all in this together, damn it. You know who I am, and you know who that fine fella is over there, so we're going to get into it. Let's go! That's right. Let's get into it. <laughs> I, I got my tap dancing shoes on. Indeed. So. Indeed. Um, but we are going to do something a smidge different uh, at the top of this episode than we usually do. What What exactly are we switching up today, Jack? Well, today, due to it, you know, being the that little holiday that happens around this time of the year, Christmas time, we're going to... Rather than do our WTFs, we're going to talk about our favorite things about Christmas. So I will go ahead and uh, start. And, you know, my, my favorite thing about Christmas is I enjoy watching people open up their presents and seeing what they receive. It doesn't matter if I was the one that got it for them or not. I just enjoy seeing, you know, people get something and be like, oh my God, I this I've you know, I wanted this for a while. It's been on my my wish list for a while. Or oh my God, I didn't even know I wanted this, but now that I see it, I do. And I just enjoy that aspect of it. Um I enjoy the food portions. And it's the one time of year that I'm cool with being in large groups of people. <laughs> so there you go. Agreed. Agreed. I'll I'll take that. My favorite things about Christmas. Um and really they're different than what they used to be. I still enjoy things about it. I especially liked it when my daughter was really young and um she would get something that she wasn't expecting that she had asked for and you know every indication was that she was not going to get it but then, you know, either me or or, or my parents, you know, broke down and got it for her and she opens it up and her eyes would get big. And then, you know, roughly seven to 10 business days later, it would be forgotten about. But I still enjoy, I still enjoy those moments. I, I especially yes. I especially enjoy her first Christmas. And I remember this vividly. 
when she had no idea what the heck Christmas was. She was only seven months old, I think. Um, and I had gotten her one of those stackable ring toys, you know, with the colorful rings, the plastic rings that you can stack different sizes on the thing. She opened it up, didn't know what it was. So I opened the toy and I gave it to her and she took one off and she's looking at the things and then she puts one in her mouth. It was the most precious thing I had ever seen. But my daughter is grown now and she still she still gets a little excited, but the excitement's different. But I still enjoy, like you do, watching people open their stuff and get things they weren't quite expecting. I enjoy that. And yeah. I enjoy I enjoy getting together with with my family because it's usually my family I get together with on the holidays. So I enjoy that probably the most. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, no, i I think we're sort of in agreement there. I will say, uh, I think when Duncan was like 14 or 15, he got like a total of six Xbox games. And that dude had beat every last one of them before school went back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, really, dude? Really? You couldn't have at least spread it out to, you know, oh, I don't know, the end of January? Yeah. Nah, that would been chilly, but that would have been too much like, right. No, the kids are going to do exactly what they're going to do, and, and that's that. So, hey. Yep, that's what they do. That's what they do. That's what we did to our parents, so they are obligated to have done it to us. The tradition that's, goes on. That is true. That is true. But, yep, yep. So. Listening friends, I always, I always have to uh, pop a little disclaimer in here. If I sound a little funny, I am just getting over a cold. And Jack apparently is just being introduced to one. So <laughs> bear with us. We're good for this, but, you know, bear with us. We, we're going to make it. Just forgive us if we sound a little off yep. here but, and there. But just know that getting getting this podcast out to you guys is important enough to us that we're willing to sit here, not at a hundred percent, to make sure you get to hear our lovely voices. Correct. Merry Christmas, y'all. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> so. Oh man. Well, if you've listened to our podcast for any length of time, say the last year that it's been on, like you should have been doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You would know that one of the things we enjoy doing is kind of doing a deep dive into something and getting to know the history of things. And today, we are going to do that with this little thing called Christmas. And Christmas has roots that are probably a lot deeper than people realize. And it might be shocking (laughs) for some people to know that Christmas wasn't always Christmas and it was kind of transformed from other things. Mm-hmm. So, if uh, if you're ready, Kenyatta, I will I will just start going in depth here. <laughs> and if you have any questions, just wave at me, and I will try to answer it. Or Anything I'll just bad. Or I'll just jump in and interrupt you like we always do. But the there floor is, is <laughs> the floor is yours. In the meantime, <laughs> okay. So it may not be uh, surprising, but actually, there have been holidays and celebrations and festivals that have taken place around the 20th of December for as long as humans have 
well, maybe not as long as we've been around, but as long as we've had sort of civilizations. They were in Mesopotamia, Egypt, and a lot of it has to do with the winter solstice being the shortest day of the year, because when you are a agriculture society like they were back in the day, they were quite at uh, knowledgeable of the movement of stars and patterns because that was how you planted everything. But the initial holiday that it really sort of merged from was the Roman festival of Saturnalia, which was dedicated to the Roman god Saturn. And believe it or not, this festival's influences continues to be felt throughout the Western world. It was originally celebrated on December 17th, and then it was extended first to three days and then eventually to seven days. And um, like I said, it was connected to the winter sowing season in modern Italy varies from October. October to January, because, you know, it's the Mediterranean, so they do have slightly longer uh, growing seasons than the rest of us. And it was very similar to the Greek holiday Cronia, which makes sense because Saturn is actually like a Titan and the father of Jupiter, which is the Roman name for Zeus. And Kronos is sort of the same version of Saturn in uh, the Greek mythology. And this holiday was known as the liveliest festival of the year. And when I'm saying that they loved it, they loved this holiday. All work and businesses were suspended. Slaves were given temporary freedom to say and do what they liked, and certain moral restrictions on them were eased as well. People decorated their homes with wreaths and other greenery and shed their traditional togas in favor of colorful clothes known as synthesis. And mm. sort of like I said of slaves given their temporary freedom, they did not even have to work during uh, Saturnalia. <gasps> and they were, yeah, I know, right? They were allowed to participate in the festivities, and even in some cases, they sat at the head of the table while their masters served them. So uh -huh. I find that to be an interesting aspect uh, of that. But here's the fun part. Instead of working, Roman spent, spent the holiday gambling, singing, playing music, feasting, socializing, and giving each other gifts. And the streets of Roman towns were infected with a Mardi Gras-like madness, and a mock king was chosen. And so the mock king was chosen, and the seasonal greeting of Io Saturnella was heard everywhere. And then the closing days of Saturnella were known as Sigillaria because of the custom of making toward the end of the festival presents of candles, wax models of fruit, and waxen statuettes, which were fashioned by the Sigillari, or manufacturers of small figurines of wax. So I don't know. Um, and the cult statue of Saturn himself was traditionally bound by the feet with woolen bands, was untied, presumably to come out and join in the fun. And it was the jolliest of Roman holidays to the point that Roman poet Catullus famously described it as the best of times. And it was so riotous, uh, the festivities, that the Roman author Pliny reportedly built a soundproofed room so that he could work during the celebrations undisturbed. Wait, what? Why would he? What? Work? He, he was the first uh, Scrooge. Work. Yeah. Uh, they're just so strange. Yeah. I what? know. Work. 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 During the holidays. Yep. 
Such an absurd, just an absurd premise. Sheesh. <laughs> I guess they've always been around. <laughs> I I guess so. I get maybe his old business partner visited him. I, maybe, maybe, maybe that's where that story comes from. Who knows? Right. <laughs> and so uh, moving on just a little bit, uh, thanks to the Roman Empire's conquest of, you know, Europe from the second century BC to the fourth century AD and um, their suppression of older seasonal rites practiced by the Celts and other groups. Today's Western cultures derive many of their traditional celebrations of midwinter from Saturnalia. There aren't really any records from like Celts and other sort of peoples uh, before that time, but there are of dramatic tribes and Scandinavians, which I will get to in a minute. Um, and it's worth pointing out that the Bible does not give a date for Jesus' birth. And in fact, most the, uh, theologians have concluded that he was probably born in spring. By the fourth century AD, as uh, Christianity sort of overtook Rome, holidays, Christmas was set on December 25th, and that was so that they could incorporate Saturnalia with other popular pagan midwinter traditions. Now, moving on to sort of the dramatic peoples and Scandinavians, their holiday at that same time was known as Yule. And it was the original celebrations of Yule were connected to the wild hunt, the god Odin, and the pagan Anglo-Saxon, please do not be mad at me, Motherana, which means Mother's Night. And then there I'm, are... I'm sorry, I thought you said his name was, please don't be mad at me. Because that, <laughs> that would have been something. Right? Praying to him, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. My old dramatic isn't, you know, a thing. Oh, <laughs> mine, is, mine isn't either. And I actually took German in high school, but... It's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have other traditions that have been incorporated uh, into Christmas from the celebration of Yule. And that includes the Yule log, which is, you know, having the fire. Yule singing, which is Christmas carols. Having a Christmas Day ham, which is a big deal in uh, Europe, stems from the wild hunt because a lot of times they hunted wild boar. So that's where the tradition of the ham came in. Oh. So it's just interesting how all of that stuff was incorporated into, into Christmas, but it's also somewhat a little more, if you think about it, because in Yule, part of the holiday was also the uh, reappearance and reemergence of the sun. Cause you have to realize the winter solstice the farther north you are is a much bigger thing uh -huh, uh -huh. than it would be in, say, Rome. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So the sun coming back is an uh, integral part of it, which is sort of fitting with the Christmas story because it is the birth of the sun. Uh -huh. Makes so, sense to me. Yes. And I, I just find it interesting how things can kind of merge and be incorporated and you know, that are quite sort of similar to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. yeah. And then also one of the reasons that Odin is connected to it is one of Odin's name is, this is Scandinavian, so this is going to be even worse than my German, Yolnir, which means the Yule one. And then it was also called Yule, which, you know, you can hear with Yule. Mm -hmm. And then... 
let's see here. But then there's also another word, which is yolm, yolin, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> and that refers to all of the Norse gods collectively. I'm sorry. All I can think about is Molnir. I that's, right. and I don't even know. I don't even know if I say that right half the time. As many Marvel movies that I've seen. Anyway, <laughs> no disrespect. Yeah, to yeah, the yeah. <laughs> right. And um, also, it's interesting. The term for the in Old Norse poetry, the word is also used for the term feast, which, like an example, would be Hugin's uh, Yol which is a raven's feast, which also connects, because if you know anything about Odin from Norse mythology, two ravens are what he used to spy on Earth. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so here's where it does get interesting, though. Scandinavia was all Norse, all heathen, and Scandinavian king Hakong I of Norway, I'm hoping I said that correctly, who ruled from 934 to 961, uh, came in, sort of became like the like the main king there. Now, he had already been converted to Christianity, but the rest of Norway had not. And so he hid the fact that he was Christian so that he could get all of the pagan chieftains to come to his side. Mm -hmm. And then he slowly started having people convert to Christianity. And one of the things he did was convert Yule celebrations to Christmas. And that is where uh, he incorporated uh, drinking beer, which I'm sure for Vikings was probably pretty important. But then there was also a measure of grain. And if people did not keep the holiday, they would get fine, <clears throat> which is funny later on. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You will have fun or else. <laughs> right. And the other thing, though, about that night is apparently in some of the more dramatic areas, not necessarily Scandinavian, it was believed that uh, on that day that undead beings would sometimes come back and walk the earth. So that's interesting. And that would explain Krampus, which there was, has been the, the horror movie recently. Um, that, 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 is, yeah. that is a masterwork. Okay. I'm going to say that right now. If yeah. that is not on your Christmas viewing list, shame on you. It should be. It's a true it Christmas be. movie. It is. Please go ahead. And then there was a uh, another one I just sort of found interesting. And all of these words are so hard. It's <laughs> Moranic, which was an event focused on collective female beings attested as having occurred among the pagan Anglo-Saxons on what is now Christmas Eve. And has been and is further evidence that that Christmas Eve and Yule were connected to fertility events in Norse mythology. Interesting. Yeah, right. So oh. that just shows you some of you aren't truly celebrating Christmas if you're, you know, not doing certain things with your love, your partner, which Indeed. is interesting. <laughs> that can go in so many different directions. Though. Right. <laughs> All right. Trains back on the track. Go. That's right. But there was, uh, in Yule, there was obviously feasting, drinking. Apparently some parts, there was sacrifice that was made. Uh, but mm -hmm. Yule is considered to be one of the older winter celebrations in the world. 
And it probably has to do with the fact that people that lived in uh, sort of the Norse area were uh, more hunters. So that probably has something to do with it. But that's partially why between that and Saturnalia, people like to eat, I guess, around winter solstice, which I guess it makes sense if you think about it. The world is darker. You know, we're experiencing that right now. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you want to have a holiday where you're eating a boatload of food and drinking a lot of alcohol? And so, I mean, that part stuck around. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, because you weren't outside doing anything because it's dark. So yeah. when you go inside, what else is there to do but eat and drink and make fun of each other? I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. What is, what is the holidays if not that? Exactly. And... I'm probably, once again, going to butcher this word, but if you would like to know the Scandinavian word for caroling, it is wasseling. Oh, so there you go. There's a song. So, well, yeah. Wasseling along or some crazy. I know I have it wrong. But yeah. I, I, I know that word is in a song or something that we used to have to know for the Christmas holidays. Hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh, so, uh -huh. you know, I saw interesting. So the question then sort of comes about, uh, there are some people that ask this. Is Christmas, in fact, a pagan holiday? I would argue yes and no. It definitely had its roots in paganism, and Christianity came and co-opted it and made it a Christian holiday. But, I mean, the same thing was done with Easter. So, you know, there's a, a pretty strong tradition of that happening. <laughs> hmm. But it's fair. It's fair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you kind of... If you think about it, if you're going into a new area, if you want people to convert to your religion, incorporating their holidays and festivals into your religion is a good way to make it easier for people to convert. True, true. And so, you know, we're we can we continue these tradition: gift giving, lighting candles, you know, the drinking, the feasting, eating mm -hmm. ham on Christmas Day, singing, all yeah. of that are aspects of the holidays that became Christian from beforehand. For example, the Yule log, which is in a lot of, you know, various poems and stories about it, was originally where we get the idea of the Christmas tree. People yes. would bring in the tree and they would then burn it. And then it would burn in the fireplace. And the goal, I guess, was to have the Yule log burn the entire 12 days of Christmas, which was from Christmas Day through the evening of the 5th of January, which at the time was known as Twelfth Night. Yes, yes, yes. And that so, I've also heard of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Christmas sort of, you know, had all of that aspects going on, and people enjoyed Christmas, and in a good chunk of Europe, everyone loved it. And then in the late 1500s, the Puritans sort of came and and to be a thing there in England, in the jolly old UK, Ireland, and Scotland. And the Puritans did not like Christmas. So the first shots fired in the war on Christmas was by Christians. Gosh, go figure. <laughs> the, the Puritans objected to Christmas because they felt that it was just a little too Catholic. But they also did not like the fact that there were a lot of plays that were put on at that time, that there was gambling and dancing. And even though it was a national holiday because the gambling, the dancing, the singing and the plays took place, they did not like that. And so the hmm. uh, the Puritans started trying to uh, slow up the old Christmas festivities. 
Hmm. And so I actually found uh, a rather interesting couple of quotes from that time. So I'm going to read this. Philip Stubbs' complaint in the Anatomy of Abuses in 1583, which dealt with the celebrations as part of a broad attack on the theater and other follies of the nation, was that Christmas was the time of the year when the abuses were most flagrant. Who is ignorant, he asked, that the Christmas that at Christmas time more mischief is committed than in all of the year besides? What masking and mumming? whereby robberies, whoredom, murder, and whatnot is committed. What dicing and carding, what banqueting and feasting is then used more than in all of the year besides. Oh, okay. So all right. Never changed, though. I can so see people saying that with just modern vernacular now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. I am. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we don't. The further we come, the more we stay in the same spot or however it goes. <laughs> yeah. And then here's this other fellow in Histromastics, written in 1632. William Prynne took Christmas as the worst example of festivals that were devoted to the theater and spent in amorous, mixed, voluptuous, unchristian, that I say not, pagan dancing. <laughs> Why, he asked, could not the English nation observe festivals, and especially Christmas, without drinking, roaring, I'm not sure what healthing is, dicing and carding, masks and stage plays, which better become the sacrifices of Bacchus than the resurrection, the incarnation of our most blessed Savior? If Turks and infidels were to behold the Bacalian Christmas extravagances, would they not think our Savior to be a glutton, an epicure, a wine-biber, a devil, a friend of publicans and sinners? <gasps> and I don't know. He sounds like fun. Right? These <laughs> celebrations were derived from the Saturnalia and the Bacchus. Bacchanalia. Christmas, as it was kept, could be more truly termed devil's mass or Saturn's mass. Hmm. <laughs> that's that's completely different than what I had in mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, wow. Strangely modern. <laughs> wow. That guy running around with the wine and grapes and stuff. Heathen. <laughs> yep. Yep. And sort of this is uh, when some of these bands started in uh, 1642. Bands were placed on the performance of Christmas plays. And in, particularly in London is where it was really strongly enforced. And in 1643, to the dismay of Scots, the Assembly of Divines decided to adjourn over Christmas Day because they weren't going to be off for Christmas Day. And um, so basically it was around that time, 1643, 1644, somewhere in that time period, that Christmas was banned in Scotland. And here's the interesting part. Well, I'm going to ask, when would you say Christmas was officially made a holiday in Scotland? What what year would you like to guess that occurred in? What year or what century? I might get closer with a century. Okay, guess a century. The 18th century, 1700s. Nope, that would be the 20th. Really? Yeah. It was, hang on here, let me scroll. 
grow a smidge. It was like 1957 or 58. Oh, for heaven's sake. That was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's why in Scotland, the bigger holiday is New Year's Day, which is known as Hogmanay in Scotland. Go huh. figure. Go figure. Yeah, it was 1958. Christmas became an official Scottish public holiday. Hmm. Like, yeah, we're not worried about that one. We're about this other one. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. in England, in Ireland, sort of the Christmas bands occurred or were dropped much faster than in Scotland. Um, but it's just really weird to think that you know, this time a hundred years ago in Scotland, they weren't really celebrating Christmas. No. No, they were like, yeah, let's get through this to get to the end of the year. Let's go. Yeah. They were, yeah, they were playing the New Year celebrations. That's there was their that was their big deal. That's interesting. Yeah. But the interesting thing though, sort of about the Puritans banning Christmas in England is who were some of the first uh colonists to the to what is now the US? Puritans. Sure. <laughs> to what was then known as the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Yes. So you aren't going to believe what they banned when they came over here. Thanksgiving. No, I'm kidding. Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Christmas. That was also banned uh, when they came over here. And in fact, in a complete, complete reversal of earlier in Scandinavia, if you were caught celebrating Christmas, feasting, singing, dancing, in any way, shape, or form on the 25th of December, you were subject to a five-shilling fine. So you have now been fined for not celebrating Christmas uh. and celebrating Christmas. <laughs> if that doesn't keep your head on a swivel, I don't know what will. Like, yeah. are we doing it? Are we doing it now or not? Are we doing it or not? No? Yes? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you are wondering why the particular New England Puritans did not like Christmas. They had different reasons. Uh, They were, I guess, a little more, I don't know. I mean, you have to think about it. Some of the Puritans came over here. Some of the, you know, they didn't feel that they were like strict enough Puritans over in England. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So according to Stephen Nissenbaum, who is the author of the book, The Battle for Christmas, he says it was partially because of theology and partially because of the rowdy celebrations that marked the holiday in the 1600s. In their strict interpretation of the Bible, the Puritans noted that there was no scriptural basis for for celebrating Christmas. The Puritans tried to run a society in which legislation could not violate anything that the Bible said, and nowhere in the Bible is there mention of celebrating the nativity. And they also noted that the scriptures did not mention a season, let alone a single day that marked the birth of Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And so, obviously, Hmm. uh, bans on Christmas in the United States went away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I think people are pretty much familiar with sort of at least modern Christmas traditions here in the U.S. But I did want to briefly touch on uh, the modern Santa Claus because everybody knows that Santa Claus is a a portly gentleman with a white beard, a red suit and hat, and a reindeer-drawn sleigh. But he actually is based on St. Nicholas, who was Turkish, which sort of tied back to the, you know, if the Turks saw us, they would think he was this. And uh, St. Nicholas did live in the 3rd century, but 
how did he evolve to the jolly old elf that slides down chimneys? Well, two people, political cartoonist Thomas Nast and author Clement C. Moore, can largely take credit for popularizing that image of Santa Claus because they were the people that started drawing him in that way. Huh. Interesting. And then, of course, Coca-Cola included him in their advertising in the, uh, you know, sort of early 1900s. And as that happened, he became the fella he is now in the U.S. and Canada. He's Santa Claus. Um, He's also, as we all know, Chris Kringle, which is uh, from Germany, which translates literally to Christ child. And then there's a German word I'm not even going to attempt because I, I I just can't. And that means Christmas man. The French call him Pierre Noel. Uh, Spain calls him Papa Noel. And that's also where the term Father Christmas came from. Uh, he is Sinterklaas from the Dutch. And that is believed where Santa Claus came from. And there are a bunch of other ones, but... Anyway, that gets us up to now where we all go into massive amounts of credit card debt to make our children happy that 15 days later they forget that they received the cool thing they didn't know they were going to get. Yeah. These times are real special. Cherish some listening plans. <laughs> if you have little ones. We, we had little ones, but we remember, you know, as we've said vividly, those times. I remember stepping on every little single piece of a Polly Pocket set that my daughter had to have one year mm-hmm. and it was all over her room in a roughly five to seven business days that year. So yeah, special times, cherish them, hold them close. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But anyway, I, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting that we are basically celebrating a holiday or a festival that is, you know, 2,300 years old. Yeah. I mean, at least bits and pieces of it, yeah. you know, evolved and utilized when I, that's not the word, I guess, um, mixed in with some other things and topped off by something else. So yeah, there's a pinch of everything still in it. Some guy that lived in Rome that, you know, celebrated Saturnalia could probably come to a modern day Christmas event and not necessarily feel too out of place other than not understanding a word anyone was saying. True, but there are probably some elements of it that he would recognize, you know, you know, yeah. the, the ever the evergreen trees for the for the Christmas trees or maybe poinsettias or some Christmas carol or someone starts singing waffling along. And again, I know that's not I don't know that's <laughs> a real song, but I swear it is. I don't know. Yeah. But something to that effect. I, I imagine you could get, you know, a, a random sampling of people in, in in this case mostly across, you know, Europe. You get a sampling of people from the countries in Europe, and they would probably recognize some piece of something they yeah. celebrate in the way we do it now. So, yeah. 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 I, I think that's kind of cool. Kind of cool. It is. It definitely is. So. so, yeah. Now that we've discussed sort of, I don't know, I guess the history of Christmas, we are going to do something that is slightly different. Last summer, I had. Well, I was a guest on a podcast called The Story Attic, and their host is named Lisa. And then she, afterwards, we were just sort of talking, and she was just telling me about a couple of her 
favorite Christmas memories as an adult. And so we ended up talking about that for about 15 minutes. And we're going to listen to her talk about this, but it is really cool because it does show that you can have a fantastic Christmas in a new city, in a new town, with a new job, with new friends, and how uh, new friends can take something where you probably could be lonely and sad and turn it into one of your fondest memories. You which bet. I, which I feel is part of the Christmas spirit. So, yes. so here we go. Um, we'll, we will be back here, well, in about 15 minutes. My guest is Lisa. She has a podcast called The Story Attic, which I'm not plugging, but I was on probably her lowest rated episode of all time. Um, Stop. That's a great I, episode. My I mom, joke. <laughs> not that, you know, my mom's my biggest fan. She actually said that was your best episode yet. Be- I think she was because she's a mom and you were telling the story as a parent. I think right. that really grabbed her. Mm-hmm. I tell your mom her gift card from Amazon will be in the mail. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> um, enough, right, right. Enough about me. That's not why you're on here. So why don't you go ahead and just tell us uh, what you loved about Christmas growing up. And then you have sort of two pretty cool stories from your adulthood and just tell those stories. And I will just sit here and, and listen. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on Jack. You're this welcome. My first, I'm a, I'm a guest virgin. I don't mean, actually mean I'm a virgin, but you know what I mean? Like I've never been a guest on a podcast before. So this is exciting for me. Thank you very much. You're and welcome. Thanks for I, doing it. Can I curse on your podcast or is that you can, I You can. I have a disclaimer at the beginning. Okay, good. All right. Well, just in case it slips out, I don't want to. It's a Christmas <laughs> episode, so I don't want to, you know. Um, okay. So I, I grew up in the Northeast and um, it was, you know, the weather, it's, it's cold and snowy. It's your classic Christmas. And growing up, even though it wasn't my family's um, centered holiday, it was definitely ranking up there for me as the most important holiday. And it, not because of the gifts, but although that didn't hurt. Um, I, I just loved the feeling and the smells of Christmas. And I still do, um, you know, and I'm, I'm not 10 anymore. And I, I definitely still really appreciate that getting in from the cold and the snowy. And it's a really, right. I, I'm a classic Christmas kind of girl, um, in every sense of the word. I need a fresh tree still, um, even if it's not practical. And because that's what I grew up with. And right. I mean, as a child, the, the most embarrassing thing probably about Christmas for me was that my, I had made an ornament. I, I was probably like six. It was a, a, a very large cardboard stocking. Okay. And each and every year, um, and now I'm in my early 50s, my mother puts it at the top of the tree just under the star or the angel or whatever she's hanging. It's, it, for a long time, it made me feel embarrassed. <laughs> now I think it's a sweet that she's kept it for, you know, 45 years or however long it's been. And, um, so, you know, we, we had a very traditional Christmas life. Um, and, we used to go to my aunt's house for Christmas Eve and, and again, all the food would be the same every year and all the smells would be the same. And, right. um, and I guess maybe, maybe it was that comfort of the traditions, even if they weren't super fancified, that made it feel like Christmas is only one way. Right. Yeah. It was, uh, it wasn't a cookie cutter thing. It was just that that was the way I 
always experienced Christmas. And then even when I went away to college and even when I got married and, and moved out and all of those things, I still would go home to my parents' house for Christmas. And then one year in the early 2000s, I had made a career change. I, I went from working in, you know, marketing to becoming a massage therapist and then becoming a spa director. And that led me on a whole other path. And my, my first stop out of New York was to Puerto Rico. Which right. ha I happen to have roots there, and uh, you know I have family in Puerto Rico, um, but I was definitely not prepared for experiencing a, a more than a week in Puerto Rico because that's what usually I would go on vacation there. Um, right, right. But then, yeah, right. Like you just like like oh, this is Puerto Rico. It's seven days, and then you go home. <laughs> but but no, it's very different when you live someplace, um, and so. The first holiday, like as it started to get colder, the weather would change and, you know, winter in the Caribbean, not at every island, but it, it, certainly in Puerto Rico would be like, I don't know, it, in the 70s, low 70s at night and it would feel cold because the air was drier. And so it did have a change of season to some degree, but there was definitely no snow. But they all, all the same things, all of the, you know, the Santa hats and the mostly fake trees. And the music is different. The vibe is different. And it's mm -hmm. hot. It's just hot. You get up and it's 85 degrees. And I'm like, how is this Christmas? And I learned to experience it in a whole different way. And um, my my first Christmas there, a friend, uh, we lived in a complex. And my friend said, oh, now we're going to do Puerto Christmas Puerto Rican style. And I was like, I really had no idea what that meant because Puerto Rican style Christmas was to me, New York Rican. Um, <laughs> and, and so I wasn't prepared for the, I want to call it an onslaught of like spontaneous parties that happen throughout the Christmas season. <laughs> and, and it's, it's every night. So somebody, some group of people will go to, including like me, I would be part of a pack of people and we would just turn up at someone's house or apartment and we would bring something to eat and they were meant to supply whatever else we wanted, <laughs> no matter what time. So typically we wouldn't show up until like 9, 45 or 10 p.m. When normal people are getting ready for bed, we're like, nope, we're going to party. And there would be music live and otherwise and drinking and food. And it was so brilliant. Like, <laughs> it's really hard to describe um, because, again, it, like it didn't fit in with the the consistent Christmas I had had for 30 some odd years leading up to it. But it still felt really authentic you know right yeah um it was just a different version of of, of my life and and i remember like thinking about it and thinking oh, I, because leading up to it i was sh surely lamenting oh my god i'm not gonna be in new york for christmas like this is everything to me like it was so important where i was and being with my family and then i realized that i i was with my family they were just my extended family, friends, people who I had come to call my family. And it was beautiful. I, I will never forget it. I, I laughed so hard. I, I drank too much, um, <laughs> too much rum uh, nightly. Um, but it was, it was very, very joyful. And I, I experienced 
Christmas not wasn't one day. And when they say, you know, Christmas is a season, like it legit is a season when you live in an island like that. And um, yeah, it was really heartwarming. And the people that I was surrounded with, and maybe that had something to do with it. It was, I found it to be very beautiful and very joyful and I'll never forget it. And then within a couple of years after that, I moved on because I was working in hospitality. Right. And I had been offered a job back closer to home. So automatically I assumed, oh, well, I'm back closer to home. Well, I started working there in the late summer. And so I was definitely down on the food chain, even though I had a director level job. The, um, the hierarchy of things says, oh, you're the new person. So you definitely have to work all the holidays. <laughs> coming yeah that's how it usually works mm -hmm. and i had the good good fortunate timing of starting like right before all the holidays were about to begin so the first thanksgiving i was there i actually was the resort mod and i ate at the restaurant uh, at the resort and i by myself <laughs> that yeah. was not way i planned it but then christmas came around and i had already been there a few months and when you i don't know what your experience is with it but when you work in hotels or hospitality especially if you work remotely the people that you are with and if you work in a small town and i when mine wasn't even a town it was just a rural area you're just close to people very quickly i mean right you're spending every day with them. You are spending every night with them. They are coming over to your house. You're going to their house. So you just get close fast. And I was feeling really blue about not being home for Christmas that year because I, I was close enough to my family, but I couldn't get there because I was working. Right. And in, yeah. And in, and in hospitality and in busy resorts, they call it Hell Week, which is kind of ironic since it's, it's Christmas, but <laughs> they do call it Hell Week. Um, and leading up to that, I just, I was kind of feeling, um, lonely and disconnected from the people that were closest to me. And I remember coming home from work. I, w I was probably, I want to say bitching about it, but I was probably lamenting it to, uh, to friends saying, you know, that I miss my family. And one evening, I don't remember if I was straight from work or if I had made a stop first and I get home and there's 15 people in my house. And there is music playing, like holiday music. There is a Christmas tree standing in the corner of my living room, decorated, lights on, gifts under it, and a full cooler, hot food. Like, I don't even, it's like fairies came in, Christmas fairies came into my house <laughs> and, and made this, like, made me feel like a little girl again. I cried quite a bit. Um, I just, I felt really loved even though these were people that I hadn't known for very long, um, I still feel, feel emotional about it now thinking about it because it, it spoke to the relationships that I had built very quickly, but also to how caring people are, you know, that you don't need to know people for your whole life. It doesn't have to be your family. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the tradition. It can be new and it can be okay being new. And, and that day I was like, I'm good now. I feel, like I got my Christmas. Of course I wound up seeing my family after the holiday was over. Um, but it was a, it was a, such a, a wonderful time. Again, a lot of laughing, a lot of crying. Um, and it felt really joyous and I'm, I'm eternally grateful to all of those friends, um, for, for being so. In fact, I just, I'll just, I'll shoot this out there. They did it again the next year. Oh, when cool. I, 
And it equally surprised me <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't, I, and I, I think the next year I did get to go home at least for one, some part of the holiday, but the same group of people plus some did it the following year too. And that made it even more special. So, um, yeah, I was really, really grateful to those friends and, and still am. So shout out to all of them. I'm sure they're not, well, maybe they will be listening. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. you probably didn't expect it a second year. You know what I mean? Because it was like, eh, it was a one and done thing. They knew I was lonely. They were being great friends. So you probably just, that's why it got you the second time, because you just didn't see it coming. Yeah, and I definitely was more emotional the second time, because to your exact point, I mean, not that I ex expected anybody to do anything for me the first time, but I, right. I, I could see why they did it, because I was probably, you know, lamenting, crying or whatever, complaining that I was not around my loved ones. But the second year, it felt even more meaningful because now they were authentically really, you know, woven into my life and they had become very, very close friends. And so I was even, I was even closer to them to celebrate. It felt right to have Christmas with them, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I'm super grateful for, for all of those special, unique things. And now I have children. So we have new memories and new traditions to, to make. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to what comes from that. It'll be fantastic. You'll, I know. It, Christmas was always great just watching the kids enjoy this, you know, the stuff they got. And all of that. And even now as adults, I still like it when they enjoy the stuff that I, you know, <laughs> get for them. Although, thankfully, they're adults and we don't have to spend as much money as when <laughs> right? they were younger. So... <laughs> Hell, hell, credit card bill day coming in the next month is a lot better now, but. <laughs> right. Well, my, you know, my mother had gotten, like, when I was young, my mother got tired of, of choosing gifts for us that she didn't know what we wanted, especially when we got to be teenagers. So she would right. hand us a catalog in, like, July. And she'd be like, here's the, you know, the J. Crew catalog or banana, whatever the, the shit we were wearing back then, clothing, usually. Right. And, and this is when I say catalogs, like that was the only way you could order stuff. And we circled stuff that we wanted. And then she would pick from the stuff that we picked months and months earlier. So we didn't even remember what we picked. So there were some right. <laughs> But it was easier than her having to return a bunch of things that she didn't, you know, we, she didn't right, know right. Want or not, I guess. And we weren't spoiled kids at all. But I think she, my mother didn't like the idea of having to go to the store and return stuff. So. But you know, Christmas when the kids are little, my when my sis my sister's significantly younger than I am, and when she was little, I remember like I that was my first like you know fond looking back at what a child would experience other than my own childhood. I didn't you know so right. I was watching her grow up, and when she up until she was like ten, every year she would want the simplest thing. Oh my! Oh, she would ask my mom, "Mommy, can I get a pen for Christmas?" Or I really want a sticker. And we're like, oh, if it could say this simple, my kids are the same way because they don't know what anything costs. It doesn't, right. the value is not in the expensive thing. The value is in just getting a little special treat. I could buy my kids a bag of candy and wrap them individually and, and then be like, oh my goodness, a bag of candy and individual paper. Like there's very low expectations at this point, but they're, you know, <laughs> my three and five. So I'm sure the, the best is yet to come. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Christmas is definitely with, with kids. I, I just always enjoyed watching them open their stuff, and I still do. And Yeah, I'm looking so. forward to, to many memories to be made with my kids for Christmas. So, yeah, so yeah. thank you for inviting me on to share oh. my, little, my little story.
Okay, we're back. I hope everybody enjoyed um, listening to Lisa. And if you uh, want to go listen to her podcast, The Story Addict, please do. Uh, She talks to people about just sort of various events that have occurred in their life of all sorts of things. And it's a pretty good podcast. So show Lisa some love. Indeed. Please do. Please do. And, um, you know, I guess we're wrapping up a little bit. So listening friends, I have to put it out there. If any of you are looking for any last minute gifts, ideas for me, I have one. I'd like Frank Shirley, my boss, right here tonight. I want him brought from his happy holiday slumber over there on Melody Lane with all the other rich people. And I want him brought right here with a big ribbon on his head. And I want to look him straight in the eye. And I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no good, rotten, poor flushing, low life, snake licking, dirt eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood sucking, dog kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, Fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, wormed-head, sack of monkey shit he is. Hallelujah. Holy shit. Where's the Tylenol? And with that, Merry Christmas, everyone. We hope you have a great day. Bye. Merry Christmas. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable, and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com, slash Kenyatta-Jack-Save-The-World or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of Hyper Focus Podcasts.